Okay, cool. Right, I think that is us. I've got stuff on here. It all looks good. Cool. Right, is everyone ready to go? Yes. Yes. Sweet. Right. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Urgency. Love to see it. Right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Cine Skinny. It is the film podcast from The Skinny Magazine. It's the team are back. It's the team are back. The team are back. We're all a bit stressed, but it's fine. Uh, Jamie's back from New York. Hello. Hello. How was it? Uh, it was one, one word will do. Um, good. Excellent. <laughs> Anahit is <a> also <laughs> Anna is also here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Sure. Um, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> Lewis is not with us in the studio, but he will be edited in at a later date. Uh, today we're talking about Boppenheimer, Oppenboppy, <laughs> things of this nature, uh, Barb and Boppy, Bar Boppy. <laughs> All the classics. I've got so many of these. They're all. Oh, we got down. time for this, do we? Yeah, this is important place setting. This is to get the crowd on side after I freak them out. Um, it's like when you say, "Oh, come on, everyone, we've got to hurry," and then when you realise you freaked everyone out, you're like, "I'll tell a couple of jokes while we're waiting on this train platform with 15 minutes to go until the train comes." Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Oppenheimer and Barbie, and uh, probably a few other wee bits on the way. A couple of bits of housekeeping. Thanks to EHFM again for having us. It's the only radio station. That's what I've been led to believe. Mm -hmm. um, Live, And also, you can now get tickets for the next of our Cine Skinny Film Club screenings with Mubi. Passages is on the 6th and 7th of September, I believe. Don't hold me to that at CCA in Summer Hall. The skinny.co.uk slash tickets. When we get back to the office, I will update that page so that that is actually accurate. Cool. That's stuff out of the way. 1 minute 45. I'm happy with that. We're setting a good pace. Let's talk about... <laughs> Oppenheimer and Barbie, but first let's talk about the cultural moment that we are currently in, the Oppenboppy era that we've had, <laughs> the Barboppies, etc, etc. So, Jamie, you got back from New York, yes. which was good, it was as good. we previously discussed, um, and you were in Glasgow at Oppenboppy time, <laughs> Oppenbop o'clock. It's like you're interrogating <laughs> him, it's like he's establishing an alibi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I arrived back on the plane on Friday morning and the town was pink. Something had happened. <laughs> it was like Times Square, but around GFT, and people were dressed up. It was really nice. Amazing. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I it's amazing. Like it's you know, I don't know about you guys, but the cinemas that I saw this in were buzzing. Like there was like really crowds that you don't really see outside of festival time. Um, yeah, it's just nice to see people properly excited about movies and that, and movies that are not your typical cookie cutter summer movies. You know, like these are, I think as we'll talk about, kind of weird movies. Really, they're not. You know, they're not. Uh, your typical fare for this time of year um and yeah to see people getting like incredibly excited about them um is is kind of fantastic i don't quite know how it's happened to be honest like you know there's been tons of films that have marketed like this but nobody got this excited i don't know exactly why this phenomenon has happened i don't know if anybody's got any yeah i don't know either i think i remember like earlier this year seeing a tweet that was like oh my god these two are coming out on the same day and i think the marketing actually kind of went off based on people like noticing rather than them kind of starting out wanting to market it like that um so it was just like one of those like very organic things that like spiraled um in a way that yeah i haven't really seen with any other film where it's like it was made into a phenomena before it happened right yeah. like it's not about like the film and what it did it's about just like the circumstances of the film's release and as we'll go on to discuss made into a big phenomenon before people really knew what these films actually were yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. which is very funny um 
yeah I just think it's really it is like really nice that people are like turning out I think it's really nice as well that um Barbie is the one that has done the best even though I actually as we will discuss I think I probably like Oppenheimer more um but I think there is something I think Chris Nolan has so much um kind of box office capital right in a way that maybe Greta Gerwig is kind of considered more art house and so the fact that people are just like turning out for Barbie really because of like their childhood because of their like own kind of like emotional connection to this film like, it's just quite nice like it's nice that that can like drive the biggest film of the year in some ways yeah and it's the biggest weekend I think well th- of this year definitely but I think it's the fourth or fifth biggest of all time which is kind of incredible that's fucking insane um, and I think it's the first time two films have made above 80 million in the first weekend oh wow like ever like it just doesn't happen usually you have a big film and then a smaller film mm. um, so, but to have two films doing so well and you know even Oppenheimer is not like of all the Chris Nolan films to do well you know it's not like Interstellar or Tenant, which is a big sci-fi thing this is a, a doer movie about physicists you know it's not exactly exa- <laughs> you know, war crimes. yeah I know it's like yeah. not exactly like catnip for the box office but you know it, it is I don't know it's amazing well on that note shall we move on to discuss the box office catnip about war crimes and uh, <laughs> nuclear physics so Oppenheimer Killian Murphy is J-, is J. Robert Oppenheimer, nuclear physicist to the stars and director of the Manhattan Project. Big kind of classic Chris Nolan ensemble cast. Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, Matt Damon, Josh Hartnett, Benny Safdie, Robert Downey Jr., Kenneth Branagh, loads of other people. As Sally pointed out, the guy who uh, plays the creepy teenager in Desperate Housewives. Uh, Which one? Is he there? He is the guy. So he plays uh, Oppenheimer's first student, Oh. And he played the creepy, the creepy teen who strangled all those people. Because <laughs> there was spoilers also... <laughs> for Desperate Housewives in the preceding sentence. There was also the creepy kid from You, who plays Oppenheimer's oh, yeah, brother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, I mean, this is going out to Hollywood fans, uh, Hollyoaks fans. There's <laughs> Craig from Hollyoaks was there. What? Craig, Craig from Hollyoaks. I think his name's what's his name something dean anyway i can't remember his name but uh oh craig dean oh no 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 not craig dean that's not that's somebody else oh that's the character something guy burnett guy burnett yeah uh who was he he was like the english guy who wanted to get information the guy who worked for shell oh i will be honest with you i ran out by about like minute 30 of knowing who everyone was yeah. in the film as in the characters someone would come and it would be like i do this for this like organization i was like okay yeah i was just Stop remembering the actors oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very safety yeah. You know. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea whose character's name no, was or what they were doing so if you haven't already seen it you'll be aware now after this brief conversation <laughs> it's a kind of labyrinthine uh crossing time interior exterior past present um Memories. What are memories? What is thing? Where is nuclear bomb? Etc. Etc. It's a ve- yeah. It's a very dense, sometimes confusing and confounding, but interesting and good film. Jamie? Question mark. He said. Yeah, I think I sometimes just take for granted what a good filmmaker Christopher Nolan is. You know, um, because like you say, this film has such a complex structure. It's. It's. I mean. Uh, even to go into it one there's one section called fission one section called fusion one's in black and white one's in color and then like you say there's a lot of kind of flashbacks and stuff but it's, it's complex and all that is it just clips along at such a pace i don't think there was a scene that lasted more than 30 seconds but 
and, and it's introducing all these um, array of characters. And, you know, while I, I, I can't say I remembered every character's name, I did keep up with the plot. I didn't, it was very lucid. And, and it moved along at such pace, even, you know, you can imagine the, the kind of dry, boring version of this. Yeah, and we have seen like dry, boring um, uh, biopics like about the war uh, many times. And the fact that Chris Nolan takes a character who is essentially a physicist uh, who who like in a lot of the scenes are just like him talking about theory uh, with his students um, and makes that edge of your seat exciting is is kind of like fantastic I think um, and I obviously was a bit worried about going into the film because obviously Oppenheimer you know he, he created a, you know arguably one of the worst things that ever happened to the world but yeah i think that the film handles that really well and 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 i did find the film incredibly moving despite the fact that like i say it's just like men chatting in rooms and we don't really it doesn't sort of go into the horror war like like a lot of people have complained that actually we don't see the bombings we don't see envy in japan we don't see the suffering but actually I think the film does deal with it in a very interesting way. And like you say, it's more the interiority of Oppenheimer um, that that explores it. And I think, again, I think it did it in a really interesting and satisfying way for me. Yeah, I agree. I think it's such an interesting choice to kind of take, yeah, one of the kind of biggest in terms of kind of theory and science and everything that had to be done around it and also biggest in terms of just like everything it did kind of socially and politically in the world to take this kind of invention and to turn it really into a film that is about like futility really like the nuclear bomb is just like such a futile thing right like it kind of ends itself and kind of you see that as the film progresses where they keep talking about like this will be having this will end the idea of war and then obviously it didn't it just began just a bigger scale of war right like the cold war happens immediately afterwards and so you have these people that are constantly the film is so like grappling in like the minutiae of their kind of theories and of their inventions and the sense that they are trying to kind of they think that they are making something and in doing so they're making themselves and really all they're making is something that is just so self-defeating and is so futile and so it's like really this kind of like journey towards nothing like it's towards nihilism and that is like such an interesting way to deal with both a biopic which often like has this sense of like progress and of like a life being lived and then yeah also this like idea of like an invention right like it's not it's not like for example what was that film called about Alan Turing the imitation game where it's like and then it like invented computers and you have this sense of like the way that this kind of scientific breakthrough expanded the world in this film it's like that it ended everything and I think that is like such an interesting way to approach it and quite a bold way like to kind of just like have people sit in this thing that was like it was like a black hole like it ended up making nothing um and he is just yeah like you said he's just so good he's just such a good filmmaker I am such like a Christopher Nolan apologist I just think he makes like such sexy films they have such good pace they're so slick they're so like the soundtrack is always really good they just like have this movement to them the man cannot write women for shit but like I don't even care <laughs> like it's just like so each of the characters is so well realized everyone's accent is doing something different like it's just kind of chaotic but it always like comes together so well I agree with that but it really hits me on an emotional level like, like I do think his films are great and they're usually but they're usually quite mechanical I feel like mm. I can feel like oh yeah I can see that yeah the editing and the soundtrack and the acting like are working in beautiful harmony but it never really moves me but here it did I'm not exactly sure why I think what's interesting is looking back 
like from our perspective you just wonder how did this even happen why did yeah. why did why did people drop that bomb why did people mm. create it and then you can you, but i think the film humanizes that quite well because it says these scientists and it, it made sense didn't really think of what they were doing they were just like mm. saying can we do this you know yeah. it's the whole uh it's the whole um jeff uh Goldblum thing you know they didn't think of should yeah. they it's like they could it's could they and, and it was like the excitement of discovery mm. um and, and you know it's interesting that um I, I, like like uh einstein appears uh, as a kind of like little figure and he's he's the sort of prophet the fact that he did not push forward with these ideas the fact that he was not involved yeah. you know this this great scientist was not involved mm. in this project says a lot like he he sort of saw the end and and that's the that's the tragedy of Oppenheimer he didn't really see where it was going to go no. uh, and it, it, it almost comes as a surprise to him that the bomb is used and that it has a kind of like life after this this kind of little science project that he puts together mm. so that that all kind of yeah really moved me like I think it's, it's like a kind of tragic story and like you know Oppenheimer's clearly a, a very morally uh, ambiguous person you know he's a womanizer uh, he, he he's very selfish but uh you know he's arrogant but also i think he's humanized in such an interesting way in this film mm. yeah i think it also feels a bit like a an, an object lesson in when keeping it pragmatic goes wrong mm. because so much of it is about oh well if we just do this thing it's probably the best option is to keep doing this uh, or i'll get in a bunch of trouble best option is to keep forward on this project because we've gone so far now and we can't really go back and then it's like well actually the massive war machine doesn't need you once you've built the thing and all the things that you were trying to, you thought, oh, well, they'll definitely let me off all this stuff I did if I just do this thing for you. And it's like, or they'll just get you for all that stuff afterwards mm. once you've outlived your usefulness. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, did, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I'm, I was finished. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think it's like such an interesting study into kind of that imagination of science as apolitical, right? That it is something that is kind of just theoretical, that's beyond politics. And like, it isn't. It is like everything else in the world it is subjective. And I think like maybe the most interesting thing Chris Nolan does with this film is he like frames it from the very beginning, like the very first frame really is this kind of line about Prometheus and so this idea of like you know bringing knowledge to people bringing kind of technology to people and we always see the Prometheus story as something that is like good and then he was like tortured forever which is kind of what happens to Oppenheimer with like the McCarthy trials but really there isn't just this idea that like any kind of science any kind of technology any kind of knowledge is good because it is being used in certain ways. And I think the film really like kind of troubles that. It kind of makes everything they keep talking about that, oh, this is just theory. It keeps being like, no, this has, it is political and it is used in a certain way. And yeah. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I think that for me, the best scene in the film, I mean, there's fairly great scenes, but like the scene where they have just dropped the bomb in Hiroshima and uh, Oppenheimer is going to tell his staff that it's happened. And it's, it's you know, it gives me flashbacks to like, you know the wars that i've lived through like iraq you know the the the, the gung-ho the, the the celebration of it and it's mm. just like it's the fog of war isn't it people forget that this is this is not like a video game this is this is real life mm. and uh it, it's it's um, oppenheimer has has taken it in and he's realizing what's happened his staff are sort of celebrating and he's he's, he's having to sort of join in almost and saying oh i wish we could have done this to the nazis as well and mm. and and it's like but but inside he's he's like uh going through absolute turmoil and he's imagining you know dead bodies and the flash and you know skin melting off people's faces and it's utterly horrific it's horror horror filmmaking you know but 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 and amongst this kind of celebration of like 
American Might, and it's just like uh, it's gut wrenching. It's sickening. Uh, it's like it's, you get so many emotions at once. Um, and yeah, it's very powerful. It's very, very long. It's very, very dense. And every single person you're heard of is in it. But I think, <laughs> uh, we, think we all enjoyed it. Well, I was going to say, I think one thing I enjoyed most is like all the performances are really good. I was yeah. just like every actor kind of brings it, I think. Even in like tiny roles, I was just like quite impressed. As Anahit said, accents notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah, good, good fun all around. Uh, so that's Oppenheimer. It's on, you can't see it in the 70 mil special IMAX anywhere in Scotland, I don't think. You can see it at the Glasgow Science Centre in IMAX, but it's digital IMAX. Yeah, mm. it's 70 mil at Glasgow Film Theatre, Yeah, um, but not IMAx. Yeah. But I would say go for 70 mil um, yeah. if you can. Yeah, and there's some 35 mil showings at the Cameo in Edinburgh. Yeah, which is how I saw it, and yeah. that was very pretty. I saw it at The View at the Omni Centre. <laughs> which is also nice. Yeah, and then I went and got some chicken afterwards. So that was <laughs> that. So that's, uh, that's one film about the might of the Imperial War Machine after this interjection from our friend Lewis Robertson, we'll be back to talk about another film from the Imperial War Machine, It's Barbie. <laughs> Hello, it's Lewis here, and I'm recording from a secondary location to give you my thoughts on Barbie. I'm actually recording this before the episode itself is being recorded in the studio, so I hope I'm not stepping on the toes of whatever anybody's going to say. Uh, so Barbie, yeah, the hype train lasted a little bit too long for this one, I think everyone can agree. The past few weeks have been less about memes and cool teaser trailers and more about product endorsements and brand deals. So I'm not surprised that some people are going in a little bit deflated. But I only saw the film yesterday and I think I've already seen people whining about it being this big commercial facing entity. And it's like, yeah, was I the only one going into this film knowing that it was like a big advert for Mattel and that they were going to try and merchandise the shit out of it? Like, I am anti-commercialism. I have big problems with where Hollywood gets its money, but The Guardian had a headline about Greta Gerwig selling out and no longer being a, a real director, which just seems a tad reductive, especially when I've seen far fewer people last year accusing Top Gun Maverick of being military propaganda. I wonder what the difference between these two films are that might cause some kind of double standard. Hint, one of them is pink. So... I'm determined not to be one of those people who's shown up at Barbie's dream house and is complaining about how many Barbie products are there, but let's talk about the interesting things that are going on in this film. Uh, it's Gerwig's funniest film. There's all sorts of humour, so the, my audience at the GFT were just cracking up the whole time. There's uh, quips, but not like annoying Marvel quips that just undercut big dramatic moments. They are, in fact, this really fun juvenile back and forth between all the characters because they're meant to be children's dolls, so they're sort of trying to own each other even though they don't really understand the concept of owning each other. Uh, there's physical comedy. Uh, I know not everybody likes Will Ferrell, but he sort of shows up and does his Will Ferrell thing in this sort of slapstick chase sequence. And there's even existential comedy, including a preppy, bright Mattel commercial for all-new Depression Barbie, which feels a little bit like a Bo Burnham bit. Uh... The politics behind the film are sound, if a little simplified, like slight spoiler, patriarchy makes its way to Barbie land, but adorable Ryan Gosling just sort of thinks that this is like a cool thing that means horses, guitars, and the Godfather. So while it is a good source of conflict and it does give some good platforming for female characters to kind of make their stance, the film doesn't even really get into what this idea is and why some people subscribe to it. Uh, Ryan Gosling, by the way, is fantastic. His ending does feel a little vague. It's unclear whether or not he's dealing well with the existence of just being a person who's Barbie's accessory. Whereas Margot Robbie was probably my favorite role. She really excels with this arc that sees Barbie go from product and transform into a person. Um, there is a bit of emotional heft. Not a lot, just sort of showing up at the end, 
probably because of the film's imaginative, zany tone. They can't have as many of those hard-hitting emotional moments that Greta Gerwig sometimes shows. But it does kind of just crop up at the end, nicely coinciding with a cameo from Gerwig's motif of mother-daughter relationships. Surprisingly, not in the characters who are actually mother and daughter. Um, but yeah, I mean... It's great fun. It's probably the funnest film of the year so far. It's got this wonderful level of energy. I, I'm excited about audiences going to see it. We're getting huge numbers, going into the theatres, having a great time. Uh, good messages. Some people are bringing, you know, even younger audiences in, otherwise known as children. Uh, and I'm excited to see that kind of film reaching that younger person. Um, and again, I'm recording this before the actual podcast, so it will be really embarrassing if everybody else in the studio just disagrees with me and slates it. But you, you know what? That's not very Barbie. Uh, so fuck you. I like the movies that I like. Okay, bye. She's a blonde bimbo girl in a fantasy world, but she's not that happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> so Barbie, Margot Robbie is Barbie. Greta Garwig directed it. Noah Baumbach and Greta Garwig wrote it. Ryan Gosling, Issa Rae, Alexandra Ship, America Ferreira, Will Ferrell... Kingsley Benadier, everyone from the sex education cast who presumably all came in a big minibus to the <laughs> studios every day. Um, and yeah, another film full of people you know and love. It's about an existential crisis from Barbie and latterly Ken. Um, again, another screening, absolutely packed with people. Everyone's having a lovely time. That's all I've got to say for now. I'm going to pass to Anne here because I went to Jamie first last time. <laughs> this is how gender works. Yeah. <laughs> this is Barbenheimer in action. Yeah. So, yeah, this is kind of Greta Gerwig's kind of very, very famous, everyone wondering what the fuck it's going to be Barbie film. Um, I am really reluctant to kind of get into the plot of it in any way. I think despite the kind of onslaught of marketing, I think one of the best things the marketing team has done is that very little in the trailers. Most of it is like from the ten, first 10, 15 minutes of the film. I had no idea how the film was going to unfold. And I think that that is, I, I would like to keep it that way for most people because I think that is like a really, the best way to go into it. Um, but essentially it involves like Barbie, um, stereotypical Barbie, um, who is Margot Robbie. Um, and she just starts to have an existential crisis and she is starting to like notice things about like, the way that her world is like not quite fitting together and she's not quite fitting together and then goes on like a little journey with Ryan Gosling's Ken um, which about is about as much as I'm gonna say um, I really enjoyed this I laughed a lot I had a great time I think it's very very clever um, it's not afraid to be clever there's like a very good joke about Proustie and Barbie at one point that's just like thrown away and I think actually the pace in a very similar way to Oppenheimer this film has a lot of pace like she is not like jokes just go by really really quickly she doesn't like wait for you to catch up and I really like that there's like a kind of respect for the audience so I will say this is a four-star film really great like production values direction all of it is like really really good it is, I think, a film for children, which is not what I was expecting, really. Um, I think especially in the way that it kind of thinks about a lot of kind of its approach to like gender and, you know, kind of Barbie going on this like journey of realizing that kind of what is it like that kind of women, the female experience, what is it that that kind of means in the real world and then in her world? Um, there is a kind of simplicity, I think, to the way that kind of Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach write that. I think the thing that I really love about Greta Gerwig in like Lady Bird, Frances Ha, Little Women is 
she thinks about the female experience in these really like nuanced ways. Like she's thinking about kind of, the thing with little women, right, is that it's about the impossibility of having both like independence and intimacy. And that's like something that's happened under patriarchy, but she's really like going granular with like breaking that down and what that means. Whereas in this film, they just keep talking about the patriarchy <laughs> in just these very broad ways. There's a lot of stuff about like, oh, the men are in charge and it's like, okay, but like, what does that, what does that mean? Like in a really, and there is just like a kind of broadness with which they're talking about this, which I don't think is like wrong, but it just is broad. Like I think it made it like quite vague for me. It meant that like, it didn't really say anything particularly profound about kind of the female experience, about being a woman, about like what that even means as a category. There's obviously like that itself needs to be troubled. Um, I did think it was actually a much more interesting film on masculinity <laughs> and on like Ken's little journey that I'm not going to get into, but it's like that feels very clever and that actually feels very subversive in terms of what we think of the Ken doll and then what he is kind of going through. Um, but the rest of it, it kind of just felt like the point that we got from it was like, yeah, it's hard being a woman because men are in charge. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't, yeah, it just didn't feel all that deep to me. And I think a lot of the kind of conversation going around it was like, oh, it's this like really dense, like existential, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't really think it was. I thought it was quite a simplistic, childlike kind of message about gender, but made in this really like lavish and clever way and very witty and very like fun. Um, but it wasn't quite, I think for me, it is my least favorite of Greta Gerwig's films. There was a distinct lack of yes ending in the writer's <laughs> room, I think. There's a lot yeah. of script moments where someone will say, a character will say a statement, and then another character will say a complimentary, but not, like it doesn't follow on statement. And the script often felt a little bit like it was a, a series of, it felt like people were talking across each other, but all still agreeing, mm. which is a very strange, like, and part of that is a kind of deliberate facade because these are all, you could read it as like, these are all toys in a toy world. So maybe that's how toys would interact with each other. Mm. But yeah, it had, it wasn't, yeah, it's not the most like advanced exploration of these ideas. And I think actually one of the things that's interesting about Ken's character is because he, similar to Oppenheimer, <laughs> his journey is much more internal. Yeah. And the things that he discovers, he often either discovers off screen or there's like his progress takes place either within himself or away from the camera, mm. which means that when you come back to him, he has advanced as a character in a way that the Margot Robbie's Barbie character is on screen so much more and you're following her much more directly it's harder to do that kind of yeah. and actually her performance is amazing like oh, yeah, real yeah. real emotion and actual range fantastic <laughs> very very good but yeah i think i agree with you totally that actually like it is surprisingly enough for a film based on a toy <laughs> a film possibly pitched towards a child <laughs> throw to Jamie <laughs> yeah I think he's all oh, uh, just hit the nail on the head I, th I think it has tons of great ideas it looks amazing the, the cast are so game and fun um, but it's just not put together in an elegant way like the, the ideas are not interwoven that well um, into the plot there's a lot of uh, telling and not a lot of showing which is like 
Um, I think the problem, I think actually it opens, like the first 20 minutes are great. I think the opening is fantastic. And I, I'm annoyed that it was kind of shown to us because it's like, yes. I think the most powerful moment of the, the, uh, the whole film. It's like a kind of spoof on uh, 2001. And it has these kind of little girls like just smashing the <laughs> hell out of their baby dolls. Like, I don't want to play with this stupid toy that's making me a mother. I want to, I want to play with Barbie, this gorgeous like aspirational figure you know and that was that was cool um and then we go to barbie land and it's beautifully rendered i think that the it's very imaginative like the way that people move around um you know like like, like, like uh you know barbie wakes up and she makes her uh waffles and it's this perfect little waffle and, <laughs> and she pours her drink and you know it's, it's very funny and then uh you know, it, it, the plot kicks in and she gets like, she turns out she's got bad breath and she's got celluloid and it's like, that's that was really interesting. I thought, oh, this is going to go somewhere really cool. Um, I mean, the funny joke is obviously that celluloid does not belong to Margot Robbie when they do a close-up. Um, <laughs> that, that's one thing. Like, I, I, I think it, the film actually even admits it. It's got this kind of voiceover, which again, didn't really work for me. I think again, it was explaining too much, but the voiceover does point out at one point, yeah, Margot Robbie's clearly too beautiful to do this role we should yeah. have got we should have got less glamorous those I, meta I, moments are really fun yeah um yeah th so there's moments where it's great and I, I love actually when it goes into the, there's a like a set piece like there's a kind of like big fight sequence which, which is really fun there's a song and dance <laughs> sequence i kind of wish it was just a musical actually yeah. i feel mm -hmm. like it is it, in its moments in moments it's it's fantastic and i think that's why it's worked so well on social media because as it it's just memeable you know there's tons of like moments which are really funny um, does it all hang together? No. Does it move along in a graceful way? No. It's really clunky, and I feel like I saw like characters being introduced in uh, in really kind of clunky ways. There's a lot of speechifying, like like a lot of the the political ideas are just mm. spoken out loud instead of integrated into the story. And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe because it is aimed at younger audience. Maybe those. Uh, ideas about patriarchy and feminism and toxic masculinity have to be kind of spelled out in a more kind of like obvious way but then I, but then i kind of wonder will the kids even enjoy it that much i don't know like, I, like it's, it's hard to tell who this film is for mm. for me like because it's because like i say it's not that satisfying as an adult because one the ideas are, are, are very one note but two i think other films have done things like this better you know i was thinking of like the truman show for example yeah. Or um, Enchanted. I don't know if you saw mm -hmm. that. We, we, uh, you know, I, I, again, that might spoil stuff, but the, there is a kind of official uh, water element um, to the film, which has been done so much better than other films. Mm. Um, so it's got loads of great moments. But yeah, I think just maybe my expectations for Greta Gerwig is so high because yeah. I, I think just her first two films are amazing. I really love the film she's made with, uh, written with No, no Bombach, you know, Francis uh, Mistress America as well. Um, you know, they're among my favourite films of the last decade um and then yeah this just didn't didn't like really kick into gear for me mm -hmm. um it was like fun um but it dragged a little bit i thought um and i think you're totally right it was weird that barbie is like one of the least interesting characters um because he, he, this might spill stuff in the, but there is like a, a mother and daughter character who appear and again, they're much more interesting. Like, seem like the, their relationship is much more interesting than anything with Barbie. Although as well. I will say, even like, because I think, yeah, we from the trailers we know that kind of she goes to the real world at one point and she meets, yeah, America Ferrara and her daughter. Um, 
But the way that their relationship is communicated, this girl's now a teenager and they're having like a fraught relationship, is a lot of like these flashbacks to like the mother trying to like kind of hug her daughter or touch her and she just like strops off or whatever. Um, and if you compare that to kind of Ladybird and that scene in the changing room where she's like, do you like me? And she's like, of course I love you. And she's like, no, but do you like me? And that is like, I think one of the greatest kind of mother-daughter examinations and like what it means to be a teenager ever and it's so simple but it gets right to the heart of like one of the most painful things about that relationship right the love the time you don't actually kind of like each other and how hard that is to grapple with as opposed to just like a teenager being a bit stroppy and the mother like looking a bit sad and that just I've seen that done in so many films before that kind of like slight flashbacky like oh my teenage daughter doesn't like me anymore and like it's fair enough but that is just like the level at which this film is operating yeah, yeah. And I think that in its in its like expression of gender, it does it maintains a very strict binary between mm. the Barbies and the Kens, with the exception of one character who I want to give a massive shout out to. <laughs> it's my main man. It's Alan. Alan. <laughs> Alan. Alan is the one. Uh, he's like the person in the zombie film who is able to like blend in with the zombies while still walking around fully <laughs> compassmented. He is able to cross over because nobody really wants him. Yeah. <laughs> so Alan is played by Michael Cera, and he is, uh, I believe, based on a discontinued friend of Ken. Which feels like it could be a euphemism, but I think it's just literally he's well, just a friend of Ken. Well, I think it is implied he's a coded sort of gay character because it yeah. implies he also enjoys massaging the other Ken's feet at yeah. one point and he gets like really upset with that. Yeah, so. but he is, he's able to, he's at, in a weird way the character who you would have like, he does have a key role, but you, I would have liked to see more of him because I think that what that character is able to do is show the kind of like the gaps in each side's thinking and a way that they could like come together as like rather than having it be this very because it's weirdly quite for yeah a children's film based on a toy it's a very kind of like oppositional mm. film that says like well we want these things and we want these things and never the you know we can't i mean we could compromise never <laughs> Yeah. I will never compromise with the Kens. Look at them with their stupid haircuts. <laughs> I, I think the film's secret weapon is also Ryan Gosling. Like I think when oh, yeah. when when I, when I say the, the script is a bit clunky, even when it is clunky, he's fucking hilarious. He's so like, fun. You know, just like like the uh, the move of an eyebrow fucking cracks me up. He's like his 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 uh, his get up is hilarious. He's got this <laughs> bleach blonde hair. He's got this ridiculous spray tan. He's got painted on abs. <laughs> Uh, it's like it's, it's fantastic and he's just like such a bimbo um so for him to go through this kind of andrew tate like men's right activist like plotline is, is so funny um and I, like i say like yeah. uh yeah like I, like every time he's on screen I, I smiled you know i feel like now that both of these films are out and the reviews are out and people have friends who've gone to see them and all this kind of stuff people now know more what these films actually mm. are i think yeah. one of the great successes like we said right at the start of the Oppenheimer and Barbie like um marketing push and the whole Barb and Boppy situation is that they have got us to go and spend in my case almost an entire day in the cinema not really knowing what we're getting ourselves in for mm. and that means that can only mean one thing which is that the cinema is back <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's a, it's a weird film it's like yeah it's, n it's not what i what ended expected i don't think yeah. it's like yeah. um so and that's cool and i would say 
that if you haven't seen either of these films, you should go and see both of them mm-hmm. because they are both really good. Barbie's yeah. incredibly like exciting visually, and the performances are all really good. It's just so funny. It's really funny. It's really like interesting, and it's it's really good to see like proper craft on screen. There's no CGI in it. It's all like physical sets and like really uh, actually quite like odd practical effects at mm. times and stuff. It's, yeah. And also Oppenheimer, I was listening to an interview with Christopher Nolan and he says the only CGI they used in that film was to like digitally remove, like say if there was something in the background that was like clearly from the 21st century, but everything was practical effects. Like the Trinity test was like a practical effect. Like it wasn't CGI. Which the, I think that's fucking insane. Did he like make a new? <laughs> <laughs> he may have made a Christ- Christ- Christopher Nolan has been compromised yeah, to a permanent yeah. end. <laughs> and on and on that bombshell, <laughs> uh, um, that might that might actually be a good place to end. That actually might be a good place. Yeah, to we end. fucking did it, yeah, lads. We did right. It. Well, so thank you to Lewis for uh, ringing in from Glasgow. He'll be back on next time when I think we're going to be talking about the Edinburgh International Film Festival, I believe, if our spreadsheet is correct. Thanks to Jamie. Uh, Jamie, you told us off air that you saw a character from the Oppenheimer cast when you were in New York. We laughed and then just moved on. And now I think this is a nice little treat for the listeners at the end. No, no, but were we meant to guess? We were meant to guess. And I I think that you saw Josh Hartnett. Rami Malek? No, no. David Crumholtz. No. Um, Brana. No. Matt Damon. This could take a while because there's a big cast. <laughs> Jack Quaid. Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, I think he's so cute. <laughs> yes, I saw him walking. He was uh, in Union Square just wandering around. No way. Yeah, just, oh, good so for him. Just on strike. That's, that's that <laughs> nipple baby there just <laughs> sw- hanging around New York's like Upper East Side. He's good though. As nipple babies go. He's yeah, he's good. pretty good. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Anna. And also thanks for pointing out the strike as well. Which we, oh, which yeah. we have strike, to strike, strike. yeah, big up the strikers. Big up the strike. Yes. Hopefully now Hollywood can see, oh yeah, we did actually need those people to write those films and yep. be in them yep. because they've just made us loads of money. Yeah. And it turns out they were only able to do that because they could take some time to do it and we gave them some money. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, And the I would not write Barbie, have... let's face it. And the I could not. No fucking hell. No, but fucking, yeah. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't bear thinking about, but it's something to leave you with. Um, and yeah, that is us. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Thanks to EHFM. We'll be back in like a week and a half to talk about the Edinburgh International Film Festival. We now have to go to the office and do loads more work. So bye. 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 bye.